Have you tried my new favorite cocktail? Anytime Spritz is a new farm-to-can cocktail company that I've been drinking, well, anytime I want to drink. Their cocktails have a transparent ingredient list, and they're all farm-fresh products that I can pronounce and have in my kitchen, so I feel good about what alcohol I'm putting in my body. They use an organic vodka, because why aren't we all drinking organic alcohol, and 100% real fruits and herbs. I feel like there's a bartender in my house who just distilled fresh organic vodka and then picked fruit from a garden and made me a cocktail to go. If you want a cocktail that's flavorful, not too sweet, and fresh, try Anytime Spritz. Bring it to your next dinner party or for your next outdoor adventure. Find your closest store or order it online at www.anytimespritz.com. I actually live in fear that I'm going to be on one of the like screenshot yeah, Depop drama pages. Yeah. I love those. To be clear, I'm very sweet. I'm just persistent in my DMs. Yeah. And you've taught me a lot and you could just find the individual outside the platform, which I had never thought about. Have I done that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did I message someone on Instagram? Yes. Just oh, being no. like, hey, I saw you were selling this years ago. Do you still have it? Which... I honestly thought about doing it. I was trying to find these these pants the other day and I was like, you know what? I might just track this girl down because now they get shut down if they haven't been active in a year. So I'm like, let me find her outside outside the Depop platform. I don't know that I've switched methodologies. I will just still DM them on Depop and say, you bought this years ago. Do you still have this? I'll oh, yeah, yeah. You find who bought it. Not I find who, who bought it. it. That's really smart I find too, who though. bought it and then say, can I buy this off of you? And they're probably <laughs> like, how in the hoot and toot and hell did you know that I <laughs> bought this? But I'm not. I'm not finding people on other platforms. Okay, I tried to find this girl on another platform, but she had a really just like very typical name. And I was like, oh, do I message all of them? No, just to get some sweatpants. Like, I don't think so. If you're wondering how I do it, say somebody say somebody bought something that you wanted to buy. You go to the reviews and you look, you have to hope that they did do a review of the item. Like they gave it five stars and then it has their username that they bought it. And you go to their page and then you DM them and be like, hey, you bought this <laughs> three years ago. I still want it. No, I actually think that's genius. Have I had any success ever in asking somebody if they still have the item? No. But one day I might. The long game. It's the really long game. It's the long game because I bet every time they look at that item, they're kind of like, oh, if I ever actually need some extra cash, that girl wants this shit. Yes. And um, <laughs> there's this legal principle I just learned about. I think it only applies in New York City. And it's like, what do you call it? Like a common practice or something. But it's right of first refusal. So if you ask to buy someone's house and they say, no, I'm not selling it right now, they are supposed to offer it to you first. <gasps> if they ever decide to sell it. So like you're just applying this to clothes. If you asked and they said no, they should offer it to you before putting it back on the market. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Don't say we never taught you anything useful on here. Hi, I'm Ruby Redstone. I'm a fashion historian, writer, and I'm beyond excited that by the time you're listening to this podcast, it's Halloween. I'm Natalie Brennan. I'm a podcast producer, a writer, and I literally could not care less. That's so mean. I like, <laughs> hopefully when you're hearing this, I'm like eating one Reese's peanut butter cup and have like fun socks on. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> this is Covered, a show about our favorite moments in fashion history. This week, the 1900 Levi's denim jacket. Do you wear a lot of denim? I do. I actually have come to really love denim. I think I have precisely two pieces of denim in my closet. 
Yeah, I can't even get a mental picture of you wearing jeans. I am very rarely in jeans, but if I am in jeans, they're because I really deeply love them. And I have found that literally the best way to find denim is just consistently going, can I try that on? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's the only way I've really found denim that I like. Um, I do not have the body type where like finding jeans would be easy. I am 5'4 and have a secret butt. So the idea of trying on like 8 billion pairs of jeans in a store makes me absolutely want to die. So instead, when I see a pair of jeans I like, I'm suddenly like, let me try those. <laughs> like you're taking them off someone's body. I'm like, let me cop on. those. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Let me try those on. <laughs> when I was visiting my best friend Sophie in LA, she made me try on her jeans and I was really annoyed because we have different body types. So I was like, there's no world in which these are going to fit me. I put them on. We screamed. They were perfect. It was a good lesson in that all of denim is really just about the fit. Yeah, no, it's true. Especially very worn in jeans. Well, that's what I was going to say is once you kind of cross the threshold into the vintage denim category, it gets a lot more complicated because every single pair is worn in differently. Like you can't just be like, oh, I like the 501s and a 28. Let me buy a couple pairs. They're all completely different. Well, we are going to get into that today. And I did make that mistake because I took a photo then of the jeans. Hers were vintage and I took a photo of them and I got like all of the, they were lucky, which has, which is fun because down the zipper says lucky you. Yes. And like (sighs) lucky always has like the best pulls and zippers and like the interior lining is always like some kind of weird paisley. Like I love that. Okay. So there were so many things for me to take photos of because I was like, I want this exact pair. So I got the inner pocket paisley photo. I got the red stitching that was outlining the pants. I thought I got the exact pair and they came and they were still different. Like it's very hard to find the exact pair of vintage jeans that you want. Yeah. And this is actually reminding me of a cool um, jeans article that I'll, I'll put in the show notes. We read it back in the day for my MA, thanks to my amazing professor, but it's a criminal justice theory that has since been um, cast out of courts because it's not actually legal again. A legal scholar now again. <laughs> yes. No, we're, we're really going legal on this episode, but um, there was this like forensic development maybe 20 years ago that forensic scientists thought you would be able to use the unique imprint of jeans to track down criminals, like because everyone wears in the knees of their jeans and the seat of their jeans so differently. I don't think they ended up applying it to any cases. I actually wonder because I just sent the article to this girl who was doing her dissertation on uh, fashion and criminal justice, but essentially it's like way too hard to zoom in on security camera footage of someone's back of their knees on their jeans and then find the matching pair of jeans. I could do it. <laughs> no, you, you I could do it, but I would never weaponize someone's jeans against them. That's against my morals. But that's so crazy. And as we said a couple of episodes ago, they will always weaponize a trend against you. I'm really going sisterhood of the traveling pants now here, but in college, um, I lived in a house with six friends. It was an absolute delight. They were all perfect. That's my nightmare, but I'm so glad it was good for you. (laughs) But one of the roommate's moms uh, dropped off an entire box of her old denim. And of course, we all wound up obsessed with the same vintage jacket because that's always how it goes. And I took way more of my fair share of that jacket. Like it really basically was my jacket. And so I was devastated at the end of the year when my roommate asked for the jacket back. I think no one will be surprised to hear that I have an exact replica in my closet right now. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was a big (laughs) win for me. 
Um, not to brag, but I have an even better denim jacket story. Okay, fine. <laughs> Which is that uh, my grandma gave me a denim jacket of hers from when she was in high school. And already that's going to be a contentious statement to make <laughs> on air because my mom and my sister both claim that my grandma gave the jacket to them, but it's in my closet <laughs> right now. So it's mine. It's mine right now. <laughs> but anyway, Many, many years ago, I took it to the Levi's store to get repaired. Levi's used to have this really cool made and crafted program where they would repair all your jeans. I don't think they do it anymore. But anyway, the employees in the store started freaking out when I pulled out the jacket and they were like, oh my God, it's a type two. It's a type two. And they were like bringing people out from the back to look at it. And no. yeah, and I had no idea what that meant, but I learned via these um, nerds at the Levi's store. And now you are all about to learn via the nerds at the <laughs> Levi's store through us. Yes. That Levi's has only ever produced three original denim jacket styles. And the jacket that I have is a type two 507 XX. Wow. <laughs> um, which was produced in the 50s and it became super popular based on the fact that Elvis Presley actually wore one all the time. Okay. And now they go for like over $2,000 on eBay, which no. is insane. And I told my grandma this last year and she was like, oh, you should sell it. <laughs> no. She's really, really unsentimental. And I was like, this time, no, babe. I love this jacket. I mean, the power of the relationship between a girl and a denim jacket that she finally adores, I mean... Are you ready to cover it? I'm absolutely ready to cover it. Time to cover up. Time to cover up. Time to cover up. Yo, dogs, what's happening? Let's talk about some denim jackets. Two pleats, one pocket, the original Levi's Type 1. Type 1, Type 2, Type 3. Rarely does a garment symbolize the American workforce like Levi's 1936 Type 1 jacket. We've gone through Type 1, 2, and 3. More commonly known as the Type 1. Now known as the Type 1 jacket. So the Type 1 before 1936. Those are cute jeans. Your cute jeans. Those are mine? No. Birth of the 1950s saw the birth of the Type 2. Oh, I thought you said your cute jeans. I did. Those are my jeans? No. Then why you did you say? You are cute jeans. All right, type three. Huh? Type three, here we go. All right, I'm going home. All right, I'm going home. Okay, so as I was saying, denim was actually invented in 2016 by me and my roommates. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, the actual history of denim is a little more complicated. I'm excited because I really love the little story about the origins of the term. This is actually it's so funny that we're talking about this today because this is one of my earliest fashion history memories. Whoa. Is that my dad loves Japanese denim, as I'm sure actually many people's dads do. And he taught me this little story when I was like eight or nine and it stuck with me. But anyway, denim is a sturdy cotton cloth. If we want to be really pedantic, it's a cotton woven in a two or three to one twill, which means that it's super strong and durable. And denim comes from the French city of Nîmes, where heavy twill fabric was produced under the name of Serge de Nîmes, which literally means twill fabric from Nîmes, from the Middle Ages onwards. Okay, but we must emphasize that it's literally like de Nîmes. Denim, denim. Yeah, exactly. That's how you you eventually get to the word denim. And it was originally made from wool and silk, but once cotton farming became common practice, they switched over to cotton. Then um, sailors in Genoa wore uniforms made from this cloth, and it's believed that their Genoese outfits may have eventually led to the term jeans for denim pants. Again, Genoese jeans. You're picking up on what's going on here. 
Exactly. And then in India, there's a type of cloth called dungaree that's produced in the 1600s that's also one of the precursors to modern denim, and it's yet another term we use to refer to denim pants. What's really interesting is that denim does not necessarily need to be blue. It starts out cream white made from unprocessed cotton, and then it's dyed blue with indigo dyes. I do usually like blue denim the most, though. Me too. I like a bit of white denim. I don't really love black denim, but indigo is special because it wears in so nicely. Totally. Okay, and then my man enters the scene. Yeah, then Levi Strauss turns denim into what we really know it as today. And it's also crazy because I'm usually super hesitant about like crediting one yeah, person, person right. with making something the thing, but really we, we do really owe it all to him. And it's stuck. So Levi Strauss was a Bavarian immigrant who came to San Francisco, California during the American gold rush, and he started producing workwear for miners with a tailor named Jacob Davis. They imported denim to America starting in 1860, and then 13 years later, in 1873, they put out the first pair of Levi's jeans, which they called <laughs> waist overalls. I'm obsessed with that term because it's so disorienting. Like, they could have named them anything else. It seems, like, intentionally confusing. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> Also, this is waste, like the waste on your body, not trash waste. Right. Since we're, we're, um, we can't write it out. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it seems like they did that on purpose. It's, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I hate it. <laughs> Honestly, I'm glad we don't have to explain where waste overalls go from here in just 30 minutes because I don't think anyone could have foreseen the places that denim pants would go. I am rightfully going to only call them jeans. I'm letting go of waist overalls. But jeans are obviously like the core of the Americana mythology. And so it makes sense to me that this history is really rooted in the gold rush, as you were just saying. We see it even today that a lot of times blue collar workwear, Carhartt, becomes something really idealized in fashion, even sometimes problematically so. But I do really love how this history of denim is so wrapped up in the new frontier. I can't even really say the new frontier a little bit. It's kind of hard for me to say because one time <laughs> one of my exes wrote me a love letter that vaguely <laughs> had to do with the new frontier. I beg your I, pardon. I don't even know. <laughs> I can't even try and contain how both of those two things have to do with one another. But you know what? Was this in college? Too? It was in college. I have so many high level. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you know, in the moment you're writing these things or you're receiving them and you're like, this is genius. And I really blame Elaine to Baton for he, he contributed <laughs> to this culture of like, if I learn about something cool and then I go combine it with a cute love story, okay, like I can that. write the best letter of all time. It was that the idea, if I have to get in, it was something around the idea. This I'm not putting on. <laughs> it's so horrifying. <laughs> bleep this all out. <laughs> I think it was something around the idea of not to brag, but I'm so confident complex that he thought he knew it all and then he hit the new frontier wow then he hit california babes oh my god and little did he know there were endless frontiers beyond that i mean no it was about that it was about that it was about all of the frontiers the boundless depths of the soul anyway i can't think of the new frontier without that so maybe he did what he <laughs> needed to do and when i say that i'm a history major i both mean that i studied both the history of the American gold rush and also every single thing that anybody has ever said to me in a love letter. That's a history degree. That's what you now pay for. That's a history degree. Okay. But anyway, I digress. What I was trying to say is that of course the core of quote unquote American dressing is rooted in a time in which it was believed that like through hard work and building the literal railroad, you could make it big. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny to me because I don't usually feel particularly American at heart, but 
but something about the mythology of the gold rush still seems so appealing to me. It's an interesting piece of our country's history. And I also think it's helpful that it had a really strong aesthetic that went with it, yeah. like from the dress to simply how mining towns look, you know? Yeah. I think maybe it's why I'm not interested in denim because I'm not very interested in the mythology of America. And, or rather, perhaps a lot of clothing for me is like, unattainable yearning and there's nothing unattainable about that (laughs) no the market is saturated (laughs) it's everywhere okay but enough about jeans for now tell me about these denim jackets denim jackets are a little simpler than jeans because as i mentioned at the top of this episode there are only three archetypes the first was introduced in about 1900 simply as a top piece to levi strauss's already popular jeans this is the type one jacket and it's actually kind of surprisingly decorative looking in that it's got knife pleats on the front and it's got a buckle in the back that can pull the waist of the jacket in Mm. like a sliding tab you know you know what I mean Um, and this was to make the jacket easy to move in while farming mining or riding on horseback which I think is so cool I never really think about how the mainstream introduction of cars changed clothing and I need to think about that more no that's so real I'm like not me wearing a type one denim jacket to reference the bygone era, as you like to say, of horseback travel. Yeah, except I hate horses, so <laughs> you would not catch me doing that. <laughs> too big, too scary. Okay, tell me about type two. Um, the type two, as I mentioned before, came out starting in the 50s. It's very similar to the type one. Um, it's just boxier. It's got an additional pocket on the front of the chest. The type one just has one pocket. Oh. The type two has two pockets. Nice on little both sides. Yeah. Okay. And it also has the same knife pleats on the back instead of a buckle. The buckles on the type one, which were originally silver, which I think sounds so beautiful. But during World War II, they had to be replaced with bronze. And then I suppose that pleating something to give it a movable waist is probably cheaper than using bronze at all. As always, we have photos of each of these types of the archetypes on our covered substacks. But okay, so type two is the post-World War II jacket. Yeah, and the type two jacket is the jacket that really catches the attention of American youth. Rebellious dressers like Elvis, even though he wasn't really known for being a big denim guy. Yeah, but now he is, which is weird and annoying. And I have noticed, having encountered a few true Elvis fans in like the past year, if you say something Wait, so about, more on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> turns out someone, a friend of Gabriel's, who's great, is like a really big Elvis fan because she had this Elvis costume on actually last Halloween, and I was like, oh, I have. I thought you were uh, gonna say like last time I saw her. <laughs> I was like, Whoa. no, that, that would be epic. I was like, I actually have, you know, Elvis's denim jacket just bragging. And she was like, Elvis didn't like denim. And I was like, yeah, you're, I, I think you're right. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when you think about how glamorous he was, obviously he wasn't the biggest denim guy, but his power to start a trend yeah. cannot be underestimated. Yeah. Um, so he starts reappropriating this Levi's workwear as streetwear. And then it catches on. The type two jacket is featured in a bunch of movies at this time. And Rebel quickly, Without a Cause. It's not the jacket in Rebel Without a Cause. Oh. It's the jacket in Badlands, which comes out later, which is like a retelling, I think. Don't, again, don't quote me on that. Don't quote us on that. Why are we talking about movies again? <laughs> but, but anyway, the rebellious reappropriation of the jacket quickly becomes a trend for mainstream teenagers too. It's a tale as old as time. And this is actually the same with denim pants too. Historically, as we mentioned, denim was seen as essential workwear 
So American GIs brought their denim with them overseas. But after the war, the end of the war marked a change in their perception and denim jeans became less associated with workwear and more associated with leisure wear. And this is also when jeans start to get zippers. This is so fascinating because I didn't know that GIs brought denim with them. And I also wish that jeans had not gotten zippers because in general... You again with your buckles. (laughs) But jeans fit so much better if they have a button fly. It is true. Yeah. And very flattering. Yes, And it's not nearly as comfortable, but that's how you make them look good. And it was the teens who also rebrand jeans to jeans, no longer calling them waist overalls. They were like, these are jeans and they are evil. (laughs) They were like, these are rebellious. We are bad. And these are jeans. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it has nothing to do with the Genoese sailor culture at this point. I'm well, <laughs> well, at this point, but they were like, we're taking these. Fuck your waist overalls. These are cool. These are jeans. Wow. Uh-huh. Just the switch in term. It's like the um, yoga pants to flared leggings. Okay, true. By the 60s, jeans that were a lot more acceptable. And by the 70s, I mean, they were just like mainstream fashion in the US. Yeah. And I think we're kind of still in the arc of that too. Just like thinking about how jeans are now I would say perfectly appropriate for most offices and that definitely wasn't even the case like 20 years ago. So we're still kind of seeing this like the evolution continues. Yeah. Really cool. It's also really interesting to me how denim retains this amazing cultural currency as a symbol of American freedom. Not to go, not to go too far back to that, but my in-laws always talk about sending packages of jeans to their relatives who were stuck in communist Russia, both because their relatives wanted jeans, but also because they could be traded for way yeah. more valuable things. And I've heard similar stories from friends who have Iranian families. And I also think it's really interesting that at any documentary you watch about women leaving an, a religion that they find oppressive, they almost always talk about how excited they were to wear jeans once wow, they Wow, that's such a good point. Yeah. Okay, sorry. But anyway, back to the jean jackets. I think we're now at the third archetype. <laughs> yes. The jeans are too powerful. They're calling to us. But Levi's only makes the type 2 jacket through to 1962 when they replace it with the type 3 jacket. And when you picture a jean jacket in your head, you're probably picturing a type 3. It's become the standard of all denim jackets made today, which is unfortunate because in my humble opinion, it's also the ugliest one. Oh no, hearing you say that makes me actually worried because I'm worried that I like type 3, but I'm not sure yet. I need a little bit more description. Okay, so the type 3 has two darts below the breast pockets instead of folded pleats, which gives it a slimmer fit. This also means it's a lot less comfortable if you wear it in your correct size, Mm. hence why in the 80s and 90s we see so many massively oversized denim jackets um also the breast pockets on the type 3 are made into part of the coat rather than applied on top which simply does not look as good especially if you have breasts of any size breast pockets are so cursed yeah they're really really cursed I mean they're not made for these for us yeah and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter small boobs big boobs like you just don't want the breast pocket It's okay on a man, I guess, but when does a man need two breast pockets? I don't know. Yeah, what are you carrying? (laughs) (laughs) I honestly think denim jackets would be so much easier to wear for a variety of body types if we had just stuck to the type one, type two, chore coat adjacent fit. Interesting. But this is just for Levi's, right? But the interesting thing about Levi's is that for this time period that we're talking about, the first half of the 1900s, basically through the 70s, so not even the first half, the first three quarters of the 1900s, they're the only people making denim jackets. So, you know, you'll get get the Sears knockoffs, you'll get, again, some international items that take inspiration from Levi's, but they're controlling 
the design narrative of the denim jacket a hundred percent. So those three archetypes are the are, archetypes. Yeah. Wow. The patterns. Yeah. Kind of. And because again, denim is so technical, it's hard to innovate, like making a suit. You know, you're not going to create a denim jacket that suddenly looks like wildly different from all the ones that came before it. They kind of all follow the same relative fit to the body in the same pattern. You're forgetting about the type four archetype, which is the Levi denim jacket that everybody I kissed in like 2016 had, which had like the <laughs> Sherpa fur coat. Oh fur my God. I hate that jacket. That's archetype four. <laughs> That's actually a type three with a with collar a edition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 3.5. And yeah, basically everyone now uses the type three. Any designer who you see doing uh, their version of a jean jacket is probably using the type three huh. pattern. Why do you think so? It, I really don't know. It must, it must be cheaper to produce than doing the pleated denim because that uses more fabric right. and it's hard to do. Okay. That's very interesting. I had no idea about these three archetypes before we were doing the research for this episode. And I'm very thankful in this moment that I have like fully dodged the rare denim vintage craze because as somebody who obsesses over very specific items I'm really glad that I have one last thing to be on my hunt for for like 507s or whatever but yeah but in learning about this history I'm like oh it actually does kind of make sense out of the things that people really hunt for online because after the war uh we became exponentially worse at making these types of clothings yeah I mean um okay wait I will shout out yet again shouting out a cut article on the podcast but um (laughs) this uh, article that came out over the summer by Justine Harmon called the realist pair of jeans about this sort of newfound hype industry around vintage denim the sort of culture of obsessing over specific items and what happens when those items are normal items like Mm. you we kind of Again, I'm not convinced that this is anything completely new, but we went from like the supreme streetwear obsession era into now people are looking at things like hoodies from the 1940s and obsessing over like the, you know. Stitching. Yes. Which on one hand I love because I'm like, yeah. That's what I do love. (laughs) Yeah, that's literally what I do. But on the other hand, I worry when it gets applied to just extremely normal things, even like denim, because it's like. What makes this great is that it's not special and we don't need to turn it into something special. Okay. And getting back earlier to why I think jeans don't necessarily speak to me is I'm like, right now I'm picturing myself in the most perfect pair of denim that they could have ever created for my body. And I'm like, okay, wouldn't change my life. Yeah. Wouldn't wouldn't. change my life at all. Yeah. And my desire for these specific items of clothing is because I like giving into the myth that like something would happen. Jeans? I'm not I'm not spending time <laughs> hunting for those. They're just like that's going to be a Wednesday. I'm going to be rolling out in a Wednesday. But you kind of disagree with me on this, which you, I like. Or like with jeep jackets, right? It's one of those nice items where like its history is actually mostly comprised of the people who just wore it every day yeah. and still wear it every day. And, you know, I have one from my grandma. My mom has one from my great grandfather that totally. he wore as a work jacket. Like it's these really, you know, unspecial items that end up kind of being the fabric of, I hate to say it, American society. There we go. The <laughs> I don't know if I'm to advise against anything. I do not recommend sending away on Depop or eBay for 
a specific pair of jeans that you can't try on. It's just the chances that those are going to fit feel so limited. Even if you're measuring inseam and outseam and legs and whatever, I'm just like, it's all about the fit and it's all about the specific wear. You have to try them on. You have to try them on. In the non-vintage realm, think the designer jeans aren't really worth it for the most part. Because again, like we just said, denim is just a simple, stiff woven cotton. And denim companies, it doesn't even need to be Levi's, are doing that better than most designers. What I was going to say is I've actually come a really long way in my jeans journey in finding them special. I wear a lot of over-the-top stuff. And sometimes like the pairing of a beautiful, you know, tool top with just a pair of plain straight leg jeans, no label, no frills, no like fringe, no tie dye even for me. Works. (laughs) It works. And they just like become, I've become kind of obsessed with these items of clothing that are background characters in, in our lives, sort of. My hiking pants. Yeah, exactly. No, I totally agree. Any other tips that you have in finding denim? Well, like you said, Try everything on. My main, main tip is that if you live in a major city, do not shop for denim in your city because the way things have been marked up is just insane. Insane. I went to visit my sister lives in Utah and I got some beautiful jeans for like $15. Yeah. Visiting my my grandma of jean jacket fame in Oklahoma. Got a pair of 501s for 20 bucks like at the thrift store. Do not go down to your gorgeously curated vintage shop and spend $200 on jeans. It's It's not not worth worth it. it. Yeah, I like that. I am really into denim sets right now. I'm into matching denim on denim. EG has this really beautiful workwear set that I'm really excited oh to yeah get you show that to on. me it's so cute it's really beautiful but my tip for if you still want to find a set but you like don't you're trying to just source from things that you already have is first find the pair of pants that fit you really well and then try and find the matching top and I like to search on Etsy for Ralph Lauren denim collared shirts oh yeah cute and they come in a bunch of different denim shades so I think first find the pair of pants and then try and color match to a top oh you know what I will say we do need to strike while the iron is hot because there are only like three weeks a year when you're actually comfortable in a denim jacket true. <laughs> and this end of October time is probably that time we're in it yeah so Though I always love to layer under my denim. That is what denim is for for me. So I'm actually making the denim happen. Yeah, I started doing that last year, especially just realizing that I could wear like a thermal shirt instead of a chunky sweater under a jean jacket. And that's comfortable. But like a little white t-shirt, jeans and a jean jacket, you only got a few more days for that. So get out there. Totally. (laughs) Uh, There's something so nostalgic to me about the little bow on a sweatshirt hood peeping out of a denim jacket tied in a little bow. Oh, that feels very you. I mean, you like the sweatshirt bow in general. My bow has to be tied on my sweatshirt. Yeah. But there's something like so nostalgic about seeing that popping out for me. I can't wait for that time of year. Oh, that sounds so nice. (laughs) Feels like falling in love. As two professional internet searchers, we have found some perfect denim jackets and jeans just for you. We've linked our recs in our show notes, or you can visit covered.substack.com. Before we head out, it's time for the accessory. Just like your favorite silver buckle or brass button, right before we leave, we'll be adding on one more thing, just for fun. Okay, you have a question for me? I do. Okay, so I learned the most fascinating thing today. 80 to 85% of 
consumer shopping still takes place in physical retail stores. Wow. Yes. Across all categories. I don't know. That's obviously the average. I don't know if we broke it down into clothing shopping. Oh, no. Are you going to ask me what my percentage is? <laughs> What's your percentage? And also, what is your dream retail mm. experience? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, first of all, my percentage is about 85, 80 to 85% online. Oh, wow. Okay. You're <laughs> so I'm the complete opposite of this. You're the negative image. <laughs> I am the negative image. And that is because I had tried to take on one of your resolutions this year where I was trying to buy almost exclusively secondhand, which I will be coming out almost close to. Wow. Big percentage that I wanted to hit. It wasn't perfect. I've gotten a lot of things in stores. But none of us are. Yeah, none, <laughs> none of us, none none of us <laughs> hit exactly what we wanted to. But So I think mostly for that reason, I've been mostly online because the vintage in New York is just so wildly expensive and um, obviously I support small brands uh, that make like small batches of clothing, not in a fast fashion way and care about sustainability. Yeah. But in terms of a store, I want a new wave department store. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that yeah, yeah. has all of my favorite brands mm -hmm. and they're all right next to each other. And then there's a pink berry in the back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, not that, not that crazy. Remember? Yeah. Bloomingdale's has um, the 40 carats yes. or whatever. I want Bloomingdale's, but filled with like Paloma wool, Maison Cleo, anywhere that I like don't have access to going to a store too. Okay. You have to go Allergia. next time you're in Paris. Pink to berry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you have to go to the Gallery Lafayette Champs-Élysées because it is is that it's not as good oh, now I went, baby oh you went you went okay yeah, but it was not that is not the experience I had it got kind of bad but when it first opened it was like unbelievable yeah okay what about you percentage and then dream store in terms of my percentage I want to say 50 50 but it's mm -hmm. probably more 60 40 with online? stuff still coming from online especially because you know like we've mentioned countless times, you and I tend to get really fixated on a certain specific item. Things. What are the chances I'm going to find the specific items on my list in a random store? Yeah. And all those specific things are pretty much just coming from online. And then it's the lovely normal things that make up the fabric of yes. daily life that I actually struggle yes. to order online. Like I'm like, oh, a plain sweater. Like what am I going to type in on matches no. to find a plain sweater? No. <laughs> like, mm -mm. In my budget, nothing. Not in our budget. <laughs> no. That's um, out of our shopping range. No, what is it? <laughs> yeah. So we're not looking to buy at that level I'm right now. Not looking to buy sweaters at that level right now. But um, my ideal shopping experience, I was really thinking about this. One, I think I want complete sensory overload, actually. <gasps> <No>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want like something crazy happening in the store that I'm just excited to see. I was really, really contemplating this. And um, one of my first jobs was working at opening ceremony, as you know, because you came there to visit. Um, oh, my God. Yes. I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we just had like so much. It was a big store and there was always like so much going on and there was really great visual merchandising. And it just made it feel fun every time you came in, even as someone who worked there and knew all the dark sides to everything. Totally. But anyway, I was also thinking it has to be a specific type of service that I have not seen provided anywhere. And I don't know if this is an issue of me getting old or yeah. of service declining because people's wages are terrible and it's yeah. not worth it to work retail anymore and blah, blah, blah. But I want to feel intimidated. <gasps> no. <laughs> yes. I want to feel like, ooh, they're cooler than me or they're like, you know, 
dress completely different to me and like how do I fit into this space because I actually kind of cherish that experience but then I also want to have salespeople who are really knowledgeable and like care about making a relationship with their customers which I just am really struggling to find yeah I totally hear that Wow, I would love this because so much of my idea of what shopping is, is like, oh no, I have to run to this store in Soho. That's like the only place that has this. Now I'm exhausted. The second that I get out of Prince Street, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. None of my needs are fulfilled. (laughs) And somehow I'm in like a unig, the only uniglow that prints. There's no bathroom. I'm hungry. I need water. I've never had water in my entire life. I'm at the one Uniqlo that will print whatever I want on a t-shirt and I'm worried because I'm still misusing some brand. I'm worried the 17-year-old working it is about to be like, this is copyright. I can't print this for you. And then my birthday gift for my best friend's going to be ruined. Thanks for listening to Covered. Covered is hosted by me, Ruby Redstone. And hosted and produced by me, Natalie Brennan. Our artwork is by Gabriel Summer. Our music is by Ada Noel. You can find me on Instagram at Ruby Redstone and my newsletter Old Fashioned is available on Patreon. I am New Balenciaga on Instagram and my newsletter ISO is on Substack. All of our links are in the show notes. Okay, I think we're all covered. We're all covered. All covered. All covered. <laughs>